Chapter Six of Phoebe Daring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Phoebe Daring by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Six: How Toby Came to Grief. The banker of Riverdale was perhaps the most important personage in the community, not even excepting Will Chandler, a man of considerable wealth and sterling character. Mr. Spathe was greatly respected by high and low, and was deemed reliable in any emergency. In character he was somewhat stern and unyielding, and his sense of justice and honor was so strong that he was uncharitably bitter and harsh toward any delinquent in such matters. As an old friend of the late Judge Ferguson, he had accepted the responsibilities of administering his estate, and was engaged in fulfilling his duties with business-like celerity and exactness when the unpleasant incident of Mrs. Ritchie's missing box came up to annoy him. Mr. Ferguson's affairs were in perfect order. Mr. Spathe knew that the box had disappeared since his demise, but the affair required rigid investigation, and the banker had undertaken to solve the mystery in his own way, without confiding in or consulting anybody. Mr. Spathe was usually so deliberate and unexcitable in demeanor that his sudden entrance and agitated manner made both the girls who knew him well gasp in astonishment. He seemed to be startled to find them in young Mr. Holbrook's office, and his red face took on a deeper glow as he stared first at one and then at the other. "'We were just going,' said Phoebe, understanding that Mr. Spathe had come to see the lawyer, and then both the girls bowed and turned toward the door. "'One moment, please,' said the banker earnestly, as he held out an arm with a restraining gesture. "'A most extraordinary thing has happened.' in which you will doubtless be interested. Mrs. Ritchie has just had Toby Clark arrested for stealing her box. Phoebe sank into a chair, weak and trembling, and as she did so, her eyes swept Mr. Holbrook's face and noticed that it flushed scarlet. But the wave of color quickly receded, and he turned a look of grave inquiry upon Mr. Spathe. "'How absurd!' exclaimed Janet indignantly. "'Yes, it is absurd.' agreed the banker in a nervous manner. But it is quite serious as well. I am sure Toby is innocent, but Mrs. Ritchie has employed Abner Kellogg as her counselor, and Kellogg would delight in sending Toby to prison, if he can manage to do so. The box must be found, cried Phoebe. Mr. Spathe frowned. It has been found, he rejoined bitterly. Where? In a rubbish heap at the back of Toby Clark's shanty, down by the river. It is Mrs. Ritchie's box, beyond doubt. I have seen it. The cover had been wrenched off, and it was empty. The two girls stared at one another in speechless amazement. Mr. Holbrook stood by his table, watching them curiously, but he did not seem to share their astonishment. Mr. Spathe sat down in a chair and wiped his forehead with a handkerchief. "'Who arrested Toby?' asked Janet. "'Parsons, the constable.' The warrant was issued by Powell, a justice of the peace, on a sworn statement made by Mrs. Ritchie and Abner Kellogg. "'And Sam Parsons, Toby's friend, has put him in jail?' "'Yes. He was obliged to do that, you know.' Phoebe was gradually recovering her composure. "'He can be bailed out, I suppose,' she suggested. Mr. Spathe turned to the lawyer. "'That is what I have come to see you about, Mr. Holbrook,' he said. Since this remarkable development in the matter of the missing box, I shall be obliged to employ counsel, 
I would like to engage you to defend Toby Clark. The young man bowed. I am fortunate, sir, to have so important a case brought to me so early in my career, he replied. I will do my best for your protege, I assure you. Toby Clark is no protege of mine, declared the banker sternly. But, he added more mildly, he was Judge Ferguson's protege, and I believe the boy incapable of this alleged theft. Therefore, I propose he shall be properly defended. I will be personally responsible for your fee, Mr. Holbrook. That is quite satisfactory to me, sir. But about the bail, cried Janet impatiently. We cannot allow Toby to remain in that dreadful jail. The county seat is at Bayport, observed the lawyer. We have no judge here who is authorized to accept bail for an accused criminal. Toby Clark must be taken to Bayport for a preliminary hearing, at which I will appear in his behalf, instruct him to plead not guilty, and then demand his release on bail. If you will drive over with me, Mr. Spathe, I have no doubt the bail can be easily arranged. When will this case be tried? asked the banker. The next term of court is the first week in December. The trial will, of course, be at Bayport. What a long time to wait! exclaimed Janet. Never mind. It will give us time to discover the real criminal, said Phoebe decidedly. In that event, Toby's case will never be tried. Mr. Spathe nodded. Then he shifted uneasily in his chair a moment and asked, Ought we to employ a detective, Mr. Holbrook? Of course, said Phoebe. That is the first thing to be done. Pardon me, Miss Daring, returned the lawyer seriously. I think that should be reserved as our final resource. Riverdale is so small a place that the movements of every inhabitant may easily be traced. I believe I possess some small talent in the detective way myself. A good criminal lawyer ought to be a good detective, it is said. So if Clark is really innocent, it ought not to be difficult to discover the real criminal. I don't like that if, Mr. Holbrook, said Phoebe resentfully. The young man flushed again. It seemed to be one of his characteristics to change color on occasion, and he was aware of this failing and evidently annoyed by it. At Phoebe's remark, he bit his lip and hesitated a moment. Then he replied with dignity, The if was not intended to condemn your friend, Miss Daring. Even the law holds him innocent until he is proved guilty. But you must remember that Toby Clark is a perfect stranger to me, and perhaps you will admit that circumstantial evidence is at present against him. The box was found on his premises, it seems, and he had the keys to this office at the time of Judge Ferguson's death. Even before there was a rumor that anything was missing from the place, I urged the boy to get rid of the key, merely as a matter of ordinary precaution. I know that is true, said Mr. Spathe. When Toby brought the key to me, he said you had advised him to do so. Still, continued the lawyer reflectively, the circumstantial evidence, while it might influence a jury, can have no effect upon those who know the boy's character and believe in his honesty. The thing for me to do, if I undertake this case, is first to discover who knew of Mrs. Ritchie's box. Why, everybody nearly knew of it, said Phoebe. She's a queer old creature, and having used the judge for a banker, was constantly coming to him to deposit money or to get it from her box. I have no doubt she imagined it was a secret, but Mrs. Ritchie's box was a matter of public gossip. The next thing, continued Mr. Holbrook quietly, is to discover 
who were Toby Clark's enemies. I don't believe he had one in Riverdale, asserted Phoebe. The real criminal placed the rifle box on Toby Clark's premises, where if found it would implicate him in the theft. No one but an enemy would have done that, declared the young man. But he spoke argumentatively, and there was not an earnest ring to his words. Then, he resumed, we must watch and see what citizen has suddenly acquired money. There are no professional burglars in Riverdale, I imagine, so the thief will be unable to resist the temptation to use some of the stolen money. Really, Mr. Spathe, the case is so simple that I am positive we shall have no need of a detective. Indeed, a detective in town would be quickly recognized, and his very presence would defeat us by putting the criminal on guard. Let us proceed quietly to ferret out the mystery ourselves. I already feel reasonably certain of success, and when I have interviewed Toby Clark, which I shall do at once, he will perhaps be able to furnish us with a clue. This logical reasoning appealed to Mr. Spathe and silenced even Phoebe's objections. The girls left the office filled with horror of the cowardly charge brought against the poor boy they had so earnestly sought to aid. On their way home, Janet said, of course this will prevent Mr. Holbrook from carrying out his agreement, for until Toby's innocence is proved, we cannot expect anyone to give him employment. Why not? asked Phoebe, who was trembling with nervous excitement. Do you suppose anyone in Riverdale would doubt Toby's honesty, just because that miserable Abner Kellogg and old Mrs. Ritchie accuse him? I think it would be a clever thing for Mr. Holbrook to take him into his office at once. It would make the lawyer lots of friends." Perhaps that is true, answered Janet doubtfully. But Mr. Holbrook can't be expected to believe in Toby as implicitly as we do. He may think it would injure his reputation to employ one accused of stealing. If he did, we could not blame him. Phoebe made no reply. Parting from Janet at the gate, she ran into the house and straight to Cousin Judith's room, where she first had a crying spell, and then related the startling incidents of the morning. The little mother was greatly shocked and quite as indignant as Phoebe had been, but she tried to comfort the girl by assuring her that Toby would be proved innocent. I think Mr. Spathe was fortunate in securing Mr. Holbrook to defend Toby, she added. As this is his first case, it will be an opportunity for him to make a fine reputation in Riverdale by winning it, and as he seems a young man of ability and judgment, we may depend on his doing his utmost and in the end clearing Toby triumphantly. That didn't seem to reassure Phoebe. I think Mr. Holbrook has both ability and judgment, she agreed. He impressed me as being a very clever young man, too clever to be altogether trusted. Oh, Phoebe, he looks honest and talks honest, the girl went on. But there's something about him, his manner or his smile, I don't know what, that makes me think he is not sincere. Judith looked at her thoughtfully. Nevertheless, she rejoined, it is to his interest to free his client, and from what you say, he already believes that he can do so. I didn't like several things he said, remarked Phoebe. Once he said if Toby was innocent, just as if there could be any doubt about it, and he wouldn't allow Mr. Spathe to send to the city for a detective. He may be wise in that, affirmed Judith. Doubtless he prefers to wait and see what the next few days develop. If he is able to solve the mystery himself, it will be best to keep a detective out of it. The detective would be a stranger, you know, and at their best, detectives are not infallible. Phoebe sighed. 
"'What a cruel thing for Mrs. Ritchie to do,' she said. "'And just when Janet and I had settled Toby's affairs so nicely, "'and obtained for him just the position he would have liked best.' "'The little mother smiled. "'Was I wrong to promise that we would pay Toby's wages?' asked Phoebe quickly. "'No, dear. I would have agreed to your plan very willingly. "'But it was placing Mr. Holbrook in a rather delicate position "'after his confession to you of his poverty, don't you think?' "'Perhaps so,' said the girl. "'But he took it very nicely. "'He seems gentlemanly and kind, Cousin Judith. "'I can't say why I don't wholly trust him. "'Janet thinks he acted splendidly.' and I imagine she is quite interested in her father's successor. I don't dislike him myself, you know. Only, until I've seen more of him, I can't exactly trust him. We cannot expect to find one able to fill Judge Ferguson's place, observed Judith regretfully. There was great excitement among the young Darings when they came rushing home from school. The news of Toby's arrest had spread like wildfire throughout the village, and the inhabitants of Riverdale were at first generally indignant and inclined to think that Toby Clark was being unjustly persecuted. When the details were learned, however, and it was known that Mrs. Ritchie's blue box, battered and empty, had been found just back of Toby's shanty, there were some who began to believe in the boy's guilt, while others stoutly defended him. The following morning, at the request of lawyer Kellogg, an officer was sent over from Bayport who, in conjunction with Sam Parsons, the Riverdale constable, made a thorough search of Toby Clark's tumble-down house. It was so poor a place that the door was not even locked. There were but two rooms, that at the front, where Toby cooked and slept, and a little den at the back, which contained only a few bits of broken, cast-off furniture and some boxes and barrels. In this back room, concealed beneath a pile of old newspapers, the officers found a bundle of mortgages and other documents, the property of Mrs. Ritchie, and which were of no value to anyone but their owner. The money and bonds, however, could not be found. Armed with this fresh evidence against the prisoner, the officers of the law went to the jail and urged the boy to confess. "'Tell the truth,' said Jardis, the Bayport policeman, "'and the chances are you'll get a light sentence. It is foolish to continue to deny your guilt.' Toby, quite broken and despondent, for he felt deeply the disgrace of his accusation and arrest, stared at the officer in wonder. "'Are you sure you found those papers in my room?' he asked. "'There is no doubt of it.' "'Then someone else put them there.' "'Who do you suppose it could be, Sam?' inquired Toby, addressing Parsons, the constable, who had always been his friend. "'Can't imagine,' was a gruff reply. Then, noting Toby's appealing look, he turned to the Bayport man and added, "'There's something crooked about this thing, Jardis.' I know as well as I know anything that Toby Clark had nothing to do with stealing that box. In spite of the evidence? Bother the evidence! You know, and I know, that lots of evidence is cooked up. Yes, that's true. I will say this, continued the policeman thoughtfully, that after a long experience with crooks of all sorts, this boy don't impress me as being guilty. But the evidence is mighty strong against him, you'll admit, and the chances are a jury will convict him without argument. Too bad if he's innocent. But many an innocent man is serving time because he couldn't explain away the circumstantial evidence against him. End of chapter 6